Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Okay, so today's guest is an author of two fantastic books. Uh, the first being Into the Into the White, uh, Captain Robert Scott's Antarctic Expedition, and the recently released Amundsen's Way, uh, obviously the Norwegian explorer, um, Amundsen's quest to reach the pole, the South Pole. We both went to the same high school, I've just found out, so that's all good. Just tour schools both in the UK and New Zealand promoting resiliency, perseverance and teamwork uh, with her Into the White school tours. She's been a featured writer at the Auckland Reader and Writers Festivals in both 18, uh, 2018 and 2019. The Chalk Valley History Festival. She's been a 2018 finalist for New Zealand Book Awards for Children and Young Adults for Into the White. Uh, she's even spoken at Earl Spencer's Althop Festival in Northamptonshire. And she's a master of arts and she knows plenty of languages. <laughs> so my great privilege to introduce my old school buddy, Joanna Grohovitz. I almost got it right, Joe. Yeah, Jack. no, you, almost, you did really almost, well, yeah, Brian. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah. But we always do a pop quiz hotshot uh, round dedicated to speed, which I think is the greatest cop movie of all time. <laughs> Don't disagree with me. Uh, so, question one. What's the best invention that you've seen in your life? I was going to say the TV, but that's probably not a, not no. a very uh, yep. inspiring one, is it? No. Well, hey, look, if it is, uh, it is. The bike is pretty cool. Cool. That's all right. What's the last book that you have read or you're reading at the moment and you're not allowed to say my own? <laughs> the last book I, I read was um, a book called Resolution about one of the cabin boys on Captain Cook's voyage. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite personal possession? Oh, I'm not hot on possessions actually. Oh. My favourite personal possession. Oh, that's a hard question. I'll come back to it. Yeah. Strangest thing you used to believe as a kid. Uh, that my teddy bears uh, got up in the middle of the night and played around without me. That's all right. Mm. And it worked for Disney with Toy Story, so hello. <laughs> uh, if you had to wear a t-shirt with just one word on it for an entire year, what would that word be? Live. Nice, I love it. What was the last text you sent? Um, following up on a sick friend who's in hospital, actually. Mm. Yeah. Get well, friend. Uh, all right, now that we've finished our pop, Pop quiz. First question for you. Why Scott? Why Emerson? Why Antarctica for the topic of your books? Because yeah. let's be honest, it's not something you just sort of go, actually, you know what? I'm going to write about these guys and what they did. Yeah. Well, as a child, I was fascinated by Antarctica. Yep. And it kind of stayed with me all throughout my, um, my childhood and through my teens. Uh, but it wasn't until years later that I read Captain Scott's diaries, his sledging diaries that that um, cover the entire Terra Nova expedition from when they they left New Zealand right through to when they get to the pole and then the 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 long journey back to their base and I was really hooked on this on this uh, this diary it was such it was such an adventure story yeah and I really wanted to share it with my two sons I've got um, at the time they were 12 and 10 and I looked around for a for a book that would be appropriate for their age that would tell the whole story of Captain Scott's expedition, not just the fact that he 
he tried, came second, and then he died. Yep. I wanted I wanted to show them the full breadth of the story, and there was nothing really around. So I decided to write my own version that would be um, appropriate for for a for a wider audience yep. um, because the diaries themselves are quite detailed and mm. quite you know quite weighty, and you really have to be an enthusiast to kind of get into it. So I wanted to share the story with more people. Cool. Why? Robert's cop first because let's be honest <clears throat> and I know that I, I know the fascination with um, seeing somebody uh, fail and let's be honest he failed horribly pretty much right from the moment he left he failed yeah um, compared to Amerson but why Scott first why not Amerson's book first and then Scott um, yeah what, made, what was your decision process? Well, I think you make a really good point about failure. Fa we shouldn't be afraid of failure. He he did fail. You know, I mean, he, he paid with his life. Yeah. That's the ultimate failure. Yeah. But it, it shouldn't overshadow uh, the incredible achievements of his expedition. And, and what those men achieved was astonishing. Astonishing feat of bravery and of physical endurance. And I think that, that, is, that is re that's a really important story to tell. So often Scott's story is reduced to this tragedy, but so much of it is, is uh, a source of great inspiration, particularly for young people. Resilience is mm. such an important quality, and these men had resilience in spades. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't think people quite realise about the type of resiliency it actually takes to hack up a sled dog for instance and then actually have to eat it that yeah. night for dinner yeah 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 um, yeah. um so when you first came up with the ideas of writing these books what was your goal was your goal to actually as so many authors do you know i wanted to write books for my kids so that they get to know was that your goal or was it let's push this out to a wider audience look i i i, I wanted to push it out to a wider audience uh but i my my single most important aim was to tell a great story yeah. and to remind people of these amazing true stories that they sort of get forgotten. I mean, it's not, yeah. the heroic age is, is not so fashionable, no, you know, no. but, but these stories, they, 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 have, they have an enduring quality and I think it's important to remind people and to, and to introduce them to a new generation. Yeah, not wrong either. Um, I've seen a picture of your desk on your website when you were doing, I think it was Amazon's Way, with your manuscript on the desk there, books everywhere and everything else, all right? How much research goes into your book? Let's say, let's take the last one, let's take Amazon's Way. How many books do you have to read? And I know that you did an awful lot of travel for this book, this one as well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. So all up, how many hours do you think you've spent researching it? Because your books, even though, and I, I, I've got to be honest, I actually thought it was a bit of an insult that they said, oh, they're kind of like young adult books. I'm like, I am a bit of an Antarctica fan. I read these books and sat back and there were some facts in there that I went, wow, that's amazing. So you obviously do really meticulous research. How long does it take you? Yeah, well, it's it's more in terms of, of months rather than hours. Yeah. Uh, the, the Both of the books have a have a short bibliography that I just... Um, I wanted to list some some other books that people could pick up afterwards, um, but that's that's not the limit of my research. Yeah. The, the number of books that I've had to <laughs> yeah, yeah. had to yeah. you know work through um, just too too many to name there in that in those particular um, 
on the, in those particular editions. I find the research really fascinating. Yeah. Once you get into a topic and you get taken in different directions, I, I'm, I'm open to being uh, led yep. down lots of paths. Some of them, you know, some of the, some of the information that you, you know, it's a bit like an iceberg. What's, what ends up in the book is just the tip yep. of this massive body of research that you've, that you've done. And I, and I did travel with Amundsen. I went and spent quite a bit of time in Tasmania, and also I went to Norway, um, spent some time um, researching uh, in Oslo, and also spent a bit of time at the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge as well. They have this amazing repository of um, diaries and original materials, primary sources there. It's all just like Beautiful. my favourite place on, on the planet. Yeah, because one of the things I didn't realise, and um, you sort of sparked my Antarctica um, sort of, not I'm not going to say further, but my interest again after reading your books was that um, after Scott's um, party had perished that Scott's wife actually and a number of the other wives all got their diaries and started reading them and then went back and saw Lord Curtin and said what how are we going to preserve their legacy and that mm. type of stuff, so. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, if I gave you the choice of meeting either Scott or Amazon, who would you choose? Oh, that's such a hard question. And why would you choose him? I think it would probably have to be Amundsen. Yeah. I think that Scott was a remarkable man, but he was very much a man of his time. Mm -hmm. And perhaps there would be a certain reticence on his part in terms of sharing his experiences. Yep. But I think Amundsen was definitely a, a more radical thinker, very open to new ideas and new uh, influences. He was um, greatly inspired by the Inuit of the uh, Canadian mm -hmm. Arctic. And um, I think spending time in his company would be Pretty just cool. incredible. What's the one question you would ask him? Had to do like in the bridged version of your book now, yeah. I would ask him what happened to him because he he went missing on the plane. Yeah, yeah. We don't actually know no. what happened in in his final hours. Yeah. Um, and what was going through his mind. Yeah. Mm. Uh, why do you think that Scott gets a lot of recognition, um, as opposed to Amazon? I mean, there are people out there who you know the first thing you say is. Antarctica and they go oh yeah um, Captain Scott and yeah. the failed expedition and yeah. Oates and blah 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 and if you ask people hey who was in Amundsen's expedition team most of them go hmm no I couldn't tell you yeah no one no one yeah. knows do they no and I mean I know a lot of that and I know this now from your books a lot of that was kind of I'm going to say sleight of hand by yes. Amundsen yes. because he wanted the glory mm. but why do you think Scott is so popular? Do you think it's that failure thing again, or? Yeah, I think heroic failure definitely has a has a large um, a large part in his in his the myth that has has um, uh, arisen around Scott and the Terra Nova expedition. I think also the fact that he was an Englishman. Yeah. You know, and we live in uh, you know a, a, an English speaking yeah. uh, society. Yeah. Uh, that plays a big part. Norway, um, you know, obviously Amundsen being Norwegian places him outside of that 
English ex- exploration context. Yeah. Uh, but also one of the things about Amundsen is that he he downplayed his achievements. Yeah. He was not grandstanding. He no. was he was going out on tour and talking uh, talking about what he'd achieved, but in a really sort of you know casual downplayed actually quite a kiwi way i have to say you know where nothing nothing's too much drama yeah and i think that did him a disservice because if he had been up there you know banging the drum and saying we did this and it was terrible and this could have happened and we fought back and he would have he would have really consolidated his legacy yeah yeah and let's be honest we know that if scott had succeeded he probably would have done public hall tours all the way through Europe and it would have become some sort of cheesy sideshow and everything yeah. else. Yeah. So yeah. You go into massive amounts of details in your books with individuals. Uh, Helmar Johansson's envy and alcohol issues, for mm. instance. Um, Amazon's hemorrhoids, which I never knew about, <laughs> right? right? You're not surprised though, right, given no, what they were eating? No, 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 I'm not. I really am not surprised. And I even sort of went, oh, how often, how common is hemorrhoids? And apparently it's really common for polar explorers to get hemorrhoids so why is that so important in a young adult's book why has the fact that he's got hemorrhoids got to be told because it 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 adds a it adds another layer of of real life yeah one of one of the one of the questions that i get often get asked in schools is how did these guys go to the toilet? <laughs> you yeah, know, in minus yeah. 40. Yep. Yeah. And the answer is very quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. do not hang around with your pants down no. your ankles, do you? No, you definitely do not. And having been dog mushing in the Yukon, <laughs> I can tell you that is a de- absolutely definite. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly right. Um, yeah. So you said recently in an interview that children should be exposed once they're past a certain age in their development to tricky heroes as a great way to open up discussion on ethics and start a child's calibration of their moral compass. What does a modern day tricky hero look like to you? If I said to you, what's a modern day tricky hero? A modern day tricky hero, somebody that has achieved um, against against all odds, yep. uh, but somebody who has had to challenge themselves yep. and make difficult decisions, and somebody that recognizes their own humanity and accepts their failures and their own shortcomings and tries to overcome them yeah have you is there any names that sort of spring instantly to your mind or not well i think there are a lot of everyday heroes people that get up in the morning and go to work yeah and a and a and a you know an uninspiring workplace uh, because they have to because yeah. they have to put food on the, the table they have to get their kids out the door to school they have to get shoes on the kids feet those kind of people that shows determination yeah. and resilience and incredible fortitude yeah because it's a lot easier to give up oh yeah you're not wrong yeah and yeah, I look at some of the parents I meet my job and I think some of their kids actually don't realize how hard their mums and dads are working to actually make things better for them so yeah, yeah. full kudos um, Amazon, you've stated that you wouldn't have liked, but yet you admire him hugely. How do you balance those two up? Because, I mean, I'm guessing there must have been some times when you were riding Emerson's way that you were sitting there and thinking, this guy is an ass. He really is an <laughs> yeah. ass. You know, there's no other word. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the bit where he says to his crew, actually, you know what, we're not going where we're going, and if you want to leave, you're more than welcome to. But, yeah, yeah I have to say, if I was on board the boat, I'd probably be going... 
yeah. yeah. I struggled with that. That was the, the single most um, tricky issue for me was the fact that he lied to his men. And even though he did give the men the opportunity to, to leave the boat and go back to Norway, um, the fact was that they were all there under false pretenses. And yeah. these were men with families. Yep. Uh, they weren't cardboard cutouts of characters these were men with with lives and yeah. um, I think that it, it was it showed incredible arrogance to assume that they would be up for it in the event they all signed up they all agreed but when I was in Norway and I was reading their diaries um, uh, two or three of them admitted in their diaries that they didn't want to go but they were um, too afraid to be the only one yeah. to put their hand up and say, actually, I want out. Nobody else was saying it, so they head down, yeah. you know, I agree. And let's be honest, most of those men on, the, on that boat were, as my sort of parents might say, very worldly men. He's yeah. quite, Emerson's quite lucky he either didn't get filled in or thrown overboard yeah. by some of these guys. Yeah, but yeah. So. yeah. Um, you've said that truthful representations are important, heroes are complex, and they're not higher beings. They fail and they stumble and sometimes they even disappoint. Many heroes that I've spoken to, and I'm talking some of New Zealand's biggest heroes, but I'm not mentioning any names, uh, and also overseas, often refer to their actions or their heroic actions as my training kicking in or impulse guided by years of experience. And they get depressed when they get called a hero. Mm. Um, they get things like survivor's guilt or PTSD mm. and the such like. Do you think there's a need for us to tear down our heroes in order to see their humanity? I think tearing down is probably quite a, a, a strong term. Yeah. I think we need to unpack them maybe. Yeah. Unpack them. And, you know, the word hero is, is loaded. Yeah. We, maybe we need to find another word. Yeah, perhaps. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting dilemma because I even know of, um, say for instance, there's a man in America called Dakota, Dakota Mayer who won the Medal of Honor. Yeah. Uh, he hates it. In fact, he hates it so much that he's actually put the Medal of Honor in his daughter's play box and she wears it as princess jewelry. Right. And he said, I don't go to any of the meetings or anything else. And he said, it tears me to pieces when I look at my name up on a wall where I believe that there are real heroes and I'm meant to be one of them, but in actual fact, inside, I don't feel like them. Yeah. And he's yeah. had massive depression issues because of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, narrative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Whew, that's a minefield, I would imagine, as an as an author, um, because there are plenty of descendants and other authors, and there'll be historians and everything else lurking. Yeah. That will very often quickly criticise your work or discredit it. Yeah. How do you make sure that you keep an even keel during your writing process? And I know that you've met some of the descendants because I've seen you with some of those pictures. Yeah. Um, what was their reaction to your book when when it came out? So there's two questions here really, I guess, is how do you keep that even keel for narrative nonfiction? Mm -hmm. uh, because if, when you look at some of the Hollywood movies, for instance, that are based on a true story, yeah. the only thing that really they're based on is the credits coming up and everything else after that is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that narrative non-fiction question as well as that, uh, yeah, how do you keep it all together when you meet their descendants and they sort mm. of say, yeah. Well, I, um, to address the first part of the question, uh, I, I feel very strongly that I, that I owe 
um, I owe it to my readers and also to the people that the book is about yep. to be factually correct. And if I'm not entirely sure of something, it won't end up in the book. Having said that, I do need to, I do need to um, pad things out and I need to um, uh, suggest dialogue. Uh, obviously, I don't have... Uh, you know, a, a, an exact record of no. certain exchanges. But what I do know um, from diaries uh, and letters is that these particular exchanges took place between these two people. I've got two versions, mm -hmm. you know, both men. So, for example, uh, in Into the White, there's an exchange between Captain Scott and Oates. Oates had left the pony shoe, the pony snowshoes back at the base, um, he thought that they were rubbish when in fact uh, Captain Scott wanted them to be taken and they were proving to be useful. Um, and there was a very testy exchange between Oates and Captain Scott. Both men wrote about that exchange. Both men noted the, um, the, the cast of that, of that exchange. Uh, and actually there were another, uh, another couple of men that were witnesses as well. So I knew that it took place. I knew what was said. Yeah. I knew the essence of, of the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the flavor of that exchange. And so I feel confident enough to put that in there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just one example of, of you know, many episodes in, in both books where I've got, I've got the, the basis. Yeah. I've just, I've just suggested the dialogue to yeah. fill in those, those blanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you, like, and there are plenty of them about, uh, are doing your research and you see some of the theories. Um, as I've said to you, I'm a big Oates fan. I love his line when he was in the Boer War of um, we came to fight, we didn't come to surrender when he was called upon to surrender. Yeah, Fantastic. yeah. No um, surrender Oates. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, cost him his life, but hey, look. Um, but there are a number of theories about both expeditions. So, for instance, you get a theory like with Oates, for instance, with him leaving the tent, I'm going outside for a long walk and I may be a, a, a wee time, but... Um, there's that, and then there's also those other people who say, yeah, he went outside, um, took some opium, and then died. Which, how do you how do you weigh it up? Do you just go with the general consensus, or do you go actually? That's a really interesting twist on on oats. Perhaps I could throw that in as a a note, or perhaps yeah. Was was oats? Oats was a really important point in the in the, in the novel yeah. um, for me what was important about Oates is that it was a personal very personal time mm -hmm. it was it was not about being heroic for anybody no. other than you know yeah. other other than addressing his own personal um, code yeah and he was very attached to his mother and that's why in the passage about Oates um, his final moments, he actually hears his mother, and I thought that 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 would be very comforting yeah. for a man like that. Yeah. Um, but I but I think that was a very private moment. It's been blown out to to being this very grand gesture. Yeah. But ultimately, it, he was a young man who chose the time and place of his own passing, and I think that we need to honour that. Yeah, and I I mean. I think when you look at his character, and I think that's something that people don't do, they just look at that one sentence and go, wow, what a guy. 
they kind of forget that he was nominated for a Victoria Cross yeah. earlier in his life. So that kind of gives you, to me, that gives you the calibre of, of the human, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, when and you, actually, sorry, no, um, no, no, no. Brian, I, just the second part of that, of that question before about meeting the descendants, I actually met um, Oates's uh, gra- grandniece um, at the Chalk Valley History Festival. She came to my talk. I didn't know who she was until at the end of the talk she put her hand up and, and said, I'm really pleased you said those those um, great things about Lawrence Oates because he was my great uncle. Perhaps good that you found out then and not before <laughs> the start of your show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And she had brought her family tree, big long roll, rolled up family tree, that, and we, we had a lovely time afterwards. Um, she discussed... Um, how everybody fitted into the family and what had happened afterwards with Oates's mother and his sisters and there was a bit of a tug of war around Oates's, um, his papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother felt very strongly that they should be burnt when, when she died. Mm-hmm. She didn't want them getting out. One of the sisters wanted to honour the mother's dying wish and the other sister said no we mustn't these are historical documents they're really really important that we that we preserve them and luckily she was the one that yeah um, thank goodness she won out yeah so and I mean again coming back to those theories there's even a theory that suggests and I cannot for the life of me remember the gentleman's name but um, Scott's story I believe has Oates's final line in it the other gentleman who was in the tent with Scott and Oates doesn't so it's even been suggested that perhaps Scott fabricated Oates's grand demise. Um, so. I don't. I don't think that Scott would do that. Yeah. I think he was. He was a very straightforward person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think there would be any point doing that. I, you know, and he he was a meticulous di- uh, di- you know journal keeper. Yeah. He he kept a journal right up until the very end. I don't know how he did it because they were in such such um, dreadful. Uh, you know, dreadful state, yeah. um, uh, utterly depleted, weakened, freezing cold, mm. and yet he was still writing with a frostbitten hand. Yeah, yeah which is incredible. just yeah. And if you've read uh, Randolph Fine's book, when he does a sled tow across Antarctica and seen pictures of their hands, yeah, that's just ridiculous. And again, Randolph Fine's holds. I know that he holds Scott in high esteem and believes he's a real man of honour. So mm, yes, um, when you look at Armisen as a person. He lied to his crew, he worked his dogs to death, frequently to his companions' dismay, mm. um, and would then, would then very often turn around to his other expedition members and say, that dog's got to be butchered so that we can eat them and then walk away. Yeah. Uh, he made sure that most of his crew received little or no recognition for their efforts. Is this a person that we want to celebrate, or should we be looking at somebody like uh, maybe Lawrence Oates beyond that one sentence? To celebrate his heroism or his mm. yeah shortcomings, I don't know. Yes, yes, I think uh, you make a really good point. All of these men achieved the same feat. Yeah, they all got there. Yeah, together. Yeah. So Amundsen did not get there on his own. He no. couldn't have done it on his own. Mm-hmm. He had four um, incredibly talented, determined, courageous individuals that arrived at the same time yep. he was the leader yep. that's the only that's the only the, the only difference Oates has has achieved um, a very a, a certain status uh, I think people are quite happy to leave, leave it in that very simplistic heroic um, you know 
that they're happy to have that monument to oats. Mm -hmm. I think if they dug a bit deeper, they might they might find uh, there is there's there's more complexity there yep. to that particular character. But people have a limited ap appetite for yeah. for tricky trickiness. Yep. You know, they yep. want to they want to believe that oats was this perfect individual. They want to believe that Captain Scott was a perfect individual. Many people would love to believe that Amundsen was a total villain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, but truth is, is so much more complex and so much more interesting. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, you and I spoke about before we started the podcast, there's that famous line, well, pseudo-famous line from Batman where he actually says, you know, it's not what's underneath me, uh, it's what I do that defines me. And that probably is going to, well, that's the, these men's legacies. I mean, we're... Reading Emerson's way, I have no doubt that there was more than a couple of alcoholics on board who had yeah. dependency issues and that yes. type of stuff. And so yeah, so and they'll be forever, you know, known as part of that expedition. Even though I'm sure some of them went on to do some great things with their yeah, lives. Yeah, well, well, two of them, um, two of them ended up uh, doing a number of other expeditions with with Amundsen. That to me is speaks volumes of uh, about his character and the men's desire to hang around with him and keep going yeah you know yeah. that's um you don't hang around with somebody that you you know and sign up uh, again and again to to do dangerous things with someone that you don't respect yeah exactly right so of all the things that scott and Amazon have done dog mushing skiing living in a boat for months which one of those would be your favorite thing to have a crack at and which one would be the least favourite thing that you'd want to do if you were actually part of those expedition parties? Mm. I would really, I would really love to go dog sledding, mm -hmm. and I think that you're so fortunate to have done that in the Yukon. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. an amazing. I would, I would love to do. I would love to do that. I would love to understand how the relationship between between the the sledge driver and the dogs. Um, develops over time, but also the inter interrelationship between the dogs, mm -hmm. I think, is really fascinating as yeah. well, and I would love to experience that. Um, I, I'm not sure I would enjoy falling down a crevasse and yep. hanging there in a in a sledging harness, yeah, waiting, yep. waiting for whatever was happening up top to, you know, yeah. You know, not even knowing actually, is this harness going to hold me? Yeah. You know, and yet many of um, you know, this seemed to be a daily occurrence for the, certainly for Scotsmen when they were manhauling across the polar plateau. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I think with dog mushing, there's lots of, particularly where we are in the world, because we, I know we have the, I'm going to say dry dog mushing where they run through the forest and everything else, mm. but we don't realise, I didn't realise until I'd done dog mushing, the complexities of, like you say, the pack the pack has a pecking order. Mm -hmm. um, those dogs will very often fight, even if they come from the same kennel area, they'll fight. We lost one of our dogs when I was dog mushing because it basically it had its ear torn off by another oh, dog. Wow. That type of stuff. Um, and like you say, I think lots of people also think that they're just going to hop on a dog sled yeah. and the dogs will tow them. Mm. You're actually working probably, I don't know, I would probably say at a fairly good light paced jog to actually push your leg out every now and then to assist the dog. So yeah, yeah so... I've, I think some people they would probably look at these books and not actually realise. Sure, these guys are a minus forty, uh, and they're all rugged up in reindeer suits and everything else. 
but they're actually still having to work incredibly physically hard um, and in Scott's case you know they were on very limited rations so yeah um, your first novel is unpublished can you tell us why <laughs> and do you want to give us a cappuccino special and it's up to you if you do or not but what was it about uh, it was not about Antarctic exploration. There you go, yep. But it was about exploration of another sort. Yep. When I was um, 17, I uh, went to uh, live in France with a French family for a year mm -hmm. and as part of an American Field Service yep, scholarship. Yep. And um, that was definitely a voyage of discovery. Um, I had to learn a lot about myself, mm -hmm. I had to learn a lot about resilience. I came from a very close-knit family here in New Zealand and I went into a very challenging and dysfunctional family in France yep. and um, there were a lot of uh, issues within that family that I didn't understand, that I really didn't have the um, the tools to, to cope with mm -hmm. and then there was the overlay of this uh, language difference you yeah. know and the inability to actually express myself I found really really challenging yeah so the book was actually about that experience I am I'm not so sure that this book will end up on the shelves in yeah. the bookshop I'm not um, I'm not averse to you know doing a bit more work on it and, yeah. and getting it out there but I find the the expedition narratives far more compelling. Yeah. I think there's a lot more there to share. Mm, okay. Mm. Um, so Amazon's way from beginning to that manuscript hitting the desk and you taking that picture. How many months do you think it took you? Because I mean, after you finished, when you'd finished writing um, your first novel, did you actually go right now? I've got to write Amazon's story. Yeah, I did because yeah. I I felt I felt uh, I felt a bit. Uh, I didn't like Amundsen. Mm. In my mind, he was a sort of a shadowy presence as I was writing Into the White. Yeah. I really didn't like him. I was very much on the side of Captain <laughs> Scott and yeah. his team. Um, and then at the end of it, I, I thought, that's really unfair. I don't know anything about this man. Yeah. How can I make up my mind about him? Yeah. And so I was determined to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Have you started planning your next book? I have. Or are you off on another I series have. of school visits? Because I know that you've done, and I've done, Bobby and I have done countless school visits around New Zealand Isn't and in great? Australia. It's great fun, but it's, I don't think people also realise how tiring it is as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, so have you got school visits lined up or have you got your next book planned? Or I do. I've got um, I've got uh, quite a few school visits uh, happening in the next over the next um, three months uh, in New Zealand. Um, I'm going down to Christchurch. I'm doing Kids Fest down there. Awesome. Um, and then in November, um, I am going to the UK to do um, my third um, tour of UK schools, which Excellent. is fantastic. It's a very intense period. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's wonderful to engage with readers. Yep. And I, 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 it is exhausting, but I get so much energy from yeah. from meeting these these um, these wonderful kids, talking yep. to teachers. Um, yeah, so and it's great to see their passion as well about a topic that probably previously I've got to be honest if they hadn't read your books they probably wouldn't know that much about Yeah. so full yeah. kudos to you uh, there are many people who say that today's kids aren't resilient enough to do 
something like Scott or Emerson have done. Is that why you believe these stories are so important? So they can have a look at it and go, wow. I think kids, kids have a natural level of resilience. It's not that, they, that they're soft. They're not given chances to, to display it to, you know, they, they ne- kids need to be given experiences, hard experiences. It's not the kids' fault. It's the, it's the adults' fault. Mm-hmm. We need to push kids out there more. Yep. We need to really drop them into situations where they need to show resilience, where they need to persevere. You know, if we can find ways of doing that, and it doesn't have to be a huge adventure. It's not, you know, dropping, parachuting kids into deep bush and saying, okay, find your way out. It's everyday situations. Yeah. Getting up in front of the class and giving a speech. Yeah. When you are terrified, yeah. that's as much a... a you know, a, a difficult challenge as having to, you know, cut your way out of the jungle. Not wrong. You know? The days of expeditions like Scott and Amerson's and sort of the race to be the first to go to the South Pole and everything else, to be fair, are probably over unless we find some amazing thing that we haven't actually seen. Mm. What do you think expeditions will look like in the future? Let's say... 40 years in the future do you think for you is it is it space travel or is it the fact that we're going to go further down into the ocean and find out things there that we've never found or yeah. you know, what is what is the expedition of the future look what does I guess what does the Scott and the Amazon of the future look like where are they going what are they well, doing well I think, do you think? these, these ex, the, the next stages are the the scientists are our are our modern day explorers you know they need to we're, we're going down you know looking through microscopes yeah let's un- let's understand what what is in front of us that we don't that we you know as yeah. you say the bottom of the ocean yeah fabulous yeah you know great unknown um but also the you know the microbiology and yeah all of this um this understanding that we need to really uh, increase and in, in, you know. not wrong and with your stories there's obviously because of where Antarctica is, there's an environmental angle mm. now as well. Mm. Um, with because we show the area, and it's let's be honest, it's almost just a hundred years since Scott and Amundsen were at the at the mm. uh, pole itself, and Antarctica has obviously changed a hell of a lot since then. So, do you worry about the commercialisation of areas like Antarctica? I've, like I've had friends of mine, and I have to say, I sat there and I went. I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not. Mm. They went on a cruise down to Antarctica mm. and kayaked around Antarctica, and I'm like, oh, to me, that's an area that's kind of sacrosanct. Mm. Um, Everest is a good example as oh, well, those queues, yeah. ridiculous queues. Yes. You know, these places were once out of reach to ordinary people uh, like yourself and I, um, and now they're becoming sort of businessmen's or business people's notches in their belts. Mm. Look at me on Everest. Mm. Look at me mm. at the South Pole. Yeah. Um, do you think that so there's two questions here I've done it again with two questions so here we go so the first question is do you think that um, those uh, areas are now under threat because of the fact that people are are viewing them as the next sort of amazing sightseeing thing Mm. that's a bit different Mm. from New York City for Mm. instance Mm. and do you think when they do that you're actually beginning to cheapen I mean, you get people now climbing Mount Everest, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, yeah. with no mountaineering experience. Yes, yeah. 
and cheapening to me it cheapens the legacy of uh, Tenzing and Hillary yeah. do you think that, that there's a real danger for Scott and Emerson that we're going to get tourist groups like we do on Everest going to the South Pole mm. having their picture taken or to yeah. the huts or that type of stuff I think it's inevitable yeah we're We've seen a huge growth in Antarctic tourism over the last, you know, two decades. Yeah. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, in that these people then become advocates for the for the continent. You mm -hmm. know, they're generally speaking, the the tours that that go down there are uh, very well run. They have very strict controls around what people take ashore, um, the clothing, and the, you know, they're, they're scrubbing their boots. Yeah. Um, they are. You know that I think that they are, generally speaking, um, you know, stewards of the of the of the of the continent and the conservation. Uh, I, I I don't think we can turn that back now. No. Um, yep. But if we can, if we can make sure that those people that do visit Antarctica then become advocates for conservation, the conservation issues, then that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. If they can bring something back. Um, that's positive. It's not just a, not just a, hey, look at me, yeah. aren't I, aren't I yeah. clever? Yeah. Mm. And do you think it's going to cheapen the legacy of Scott and Emerson when you get people basically standing at the South Pole and going, yeah, I've done that? Look, it's not, nothing can take away what they achieved. It's yeah. a bit like um, Ed Hillary yeah. and Tenzing Norgain. What they achieved is set in stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody can take that away. Lots of people can can um, you know, put their hand up now and say, oh, I've gone got to the top of Everest. But what they achieved different. Yeah. Entirely different. Not wrong either. Mm. So if I gave you uh, last question, five words to describe Scott and five words to describe Emerson, given the fact you've written a book on them both <laughs> Yeah, no pressure. How would you describe First of all, how would you describe Scott? Mm. How would I describe Scott? Um, and you can't have British or Norwegian as <laughs> one of your words. All right. Five words. Yeah. Five words. Resilient. Uh, strong. Brave, mm -hmm. loyal, and the last one. This is such a hard question. It's the go. hardest question. You're not, you're not oh. dealing with Jesse Mulligan now. No, yeah. I'm not. No, no, What's yeah. my last, my last one? Uh, inspiring. Beautiful. Mm. Would you say the same for Amazon, or would you say something different? Uh, no, I would say pragmatic, open-minded. Um, I've got to throw in one there for you. I'll save yes. you, but it meticulous. Meticulous. His, his planning yeah. was just. Yeah, yep. that's a really that's a really great word. Yeah. Um, You've got two left. <laughs> Single-minded. Mm -hmm. Complicated. Beautiful. Now the question I always ask uh, everybody on the last question for the cappuccino is this: uh, the day of reckoning has come for Joanna and. Uh, you're actually inside your casket, but you can hear your <laughs> eulogy being read. Uh, it's an idea a friend of mine had ages ago. He had a play where somebody faked his own death because he was a little bit upset about how his yeah. life was going. He needed to pick me up. So he said, right, I'm going to 
fake my own death so I can hear all these wonderful things about myself. Not talking about wonderful things. Well, you're talking about wonderful things. What would you like people to say about Joanna after she's gone? And would you want Antarctica to be mentioned there somewhere? I'm guessing you would. No, I, I don't think no? so. Yep. I think my the, my the personal relationships are the most important thing in my life. Yep. And... Um, I have to say, I would love to hear people say that I was good fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Good week. And you are. So, <laughs> on that note, uh, if you want to have some more good fun with Joanna, where do we go to follow you on social media and your website and everything else? Because we want to see you going around the UK and everything else. So Okay, so the best place would be my website, yep. uh, which is uh, com. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Original. Tricky, yeah, tricky yeah. name to, to no, spell. Not really. You might not, you might not get there. You can find it if you Google it. It's if really you, easy. Yeah, yeah. And, or if you Google into the white Scots Antarctic Odyssey, it should it should pop up. Or Amundsen's Way, it should pop up as well. That's Beautiful. probably the best place. And that's open for everybody. You don't have to be, yep. you know, you don't have to be thirteen or older. You can be. No, 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 yeah. exactly. And like I've said to you, um, for those of you that are listening and you're thinking, oh, these are young adult books. If you have any interest in heroism perseverance resiliency meticulous planning get yourself a copy of these books because they are amazing well done joanna um but um i've read them and like i said i'm a little bit of a buff i still am going to ask you off air what's the best oats book i should be reading though yeah. um but um yeah they're amazing and i think as adults we need to read them so that you do know that there were hemorrhoids involved and you do know that there was envy because very often i think a lot of these legacies like you've said previously Get polished over we just yeah. see the end result we hear about oats last line we hear about scott's demise and that's it wow yeah. but you yeah. you actually need like you've said you need those tricky heroes you need those backgrounds so and that was the cappuccino wasn't that bad awesome. was it thank you so much no, it's absolute pleasure Coppuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.